Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, this is Sharon Swing. Today on the podcast, I am so pleased to have with us Adele Calhoun. Adele Calhoun is the pastor of spiritual formation at High Rock Covenant Church in Arlington, Massachusetts, and she has written numerous books I'm going to be introducing to you over time. Uh, One is Spiritual Discipline Handbook, Practices That Transform Us. Now, this particular book is probably the most recommended book that we talk about within Listen to My Life, and for great reason, and you'll find out a little bit more about that coming up. So, Adele, thank you so much for joining us. Sharon, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. Today we're here to talk about the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, but before we get started on that part of the conversation, Adele, can you tell us a little bit about an early remembrance of an encounter with God in your life? So I suppose the earliest one was a dream, and the dream was a dream that Jesus had returned and not taken me with him. (laughs) So I woke up terrified and um, called for my father, and he came in, and we talked about what it meant to receive Jesus into your life. And so that's my earliest memory of really paying attention to who Jesus was. Hmm. That's kind of an interesting thing. So tell me a little bit more about your spiritual heritage. So I grew up in a very fundamentalistic, conservative um, Christian home where we went to church at least three times a week. And from the very beginning, before I could read and write, I'd memorized the books of the Bible and memorized scripture verses when I was very little. And so... My whole, the container for my formation in my family was the Bible and what the Bible says and how do you love and follow Jesus. So um, that that's my background. And so from an early remembrance of God to now, how do you view God differently? How well, the God, the God... That I grew up with, I would I would I would put it like this: that I was constantly trying to please that God and please my parents, and if I didn't please them, um, love was removed. At least that's what it felt like to me. Love was removed. And there were a lot of ought and shoulds. And if my parents said, you shouldn't lie and you ought not to steal or you you shouldn't be unkind to your brother, that meant that you could do that thing. Because there was an ought or a should, you could. And it took me past seminary to actually understand that because there's an ought or a should, it doesn't mean you can do it. In fact, Scripture is very clear, you know, that we need the Holy Spirit to, and we need grace in order to do these things. We can't, we, we can't. The law is a schoolmaster. The law trains us in obedience, but the law has no spiritual power. And so I had this 
this image of God that was me trying to please with no spiritual power. And then now a God who from the beginning has been pleased with me and who gives me grace so I can obey instead of law that just condemns me for not obeying. The law just condemns, accuses, and destroys, and grace empowers us to be different. Mm. So it's changed a lot. So it's it's so different because it's based on God's love for you and acceptance from you. Right. For, of you from the beginning, before the beginning. Before the beginning. Yeah. And nothing I can thing. do can make... God love me more or less, and that's just the sweetest news I ever heard. <laughs> and and it's it's amazing how long it takes sometimes for that love to sink in. Yeah, I well, mean, and and really, there's no change without love. There's no, no, there's real not change without that love. There's only trying to up, uh, trying to please. And I really wanted to please, but I couldn't. <laughs> You know, and the very fact that I couldn't made me lie. I, you know, I, I would pretend. So grace mm. really rescued me. Yeah, what a good point in terms of just the hiding that goes on mm -hmm. because we're, we know we're supposed to be perfect, but we're not. And then we just hide, which makes that a lie and makes mm -hmm. it even. <laughs> It's just like a spiral downward on that on that point. So with those ideas in mind, then, you wrote this, at some point later in your story, you wrote the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. So what is, what made you lean into spiritual disciplines? I, I guess the first question is, tell me what a spiritual discipline is. I, start well, a spiritual discipline is simply a way we make space for God to show up in our lives. It's a way we make space for worship. And if a spiritual discipline doesn't lead to God and lead to worship, then it's not a spiritual practice. So in that, in those definitions, what's worship? Well, worship in the, in the spiritual disciplines handbook, um, I have an acronym for worship and worship is, you know, celebration and gratitude and communion and, all those things, but it that's the W. Then there's opening myself to God. That's worship. Relinquishing my false self. That's worship. Sharing my life with others can be worship. Hearing God's word is worship. Incarnating the love of Christ. It's a big, it's a way I live my life in, um, in an offering to God with an intentionality towards God and towards pleasing God and loving God. Yeah, loving God. It sounds like a, a breathing in of that love and a breathing out of that love. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So then if that's what a spiritual discipline is, uh, and, and the word discipline sounds opposite of this kind of grace we're talking about sometimes. Well, you can... You know, in, in the traditional form of the word, yeah. I suppose. So we toyed with using the word spiritual rhythms. I mean, that's a word that resonates more with people. Discipline can have a negative. But 
the truth is without discipline, no good things happen in our lives. And so Mm -hmm. if we look at discipline as a way, as a way we make a space for God's transformative work to help us live into our truest self in Christ. Our Christ in me self comes alive when we open ourselves to spiritual practices that make room for the spirit to work in us. Mm. Yeah. I, I often term it as putting ourselves in a place where God can get to us or get a word in edgewise. Mm-hmm. Somebody just and, handed me a piece of paper a couple of weeks ago when I was teaching um, because I was talking about how ego and the false self and, you know, the old nature, if you want to call it that, really uh, blinds us to who God is and, and we end up in a default. And she, she gave me a little piece of paper and it says, ego is edge God out. And I thought, oh, it's a good little acronym. Yes, I've heard Ken Blanchard use that before and it, yeah, edging God out. And I mean, how often just the preoccupations of my mind edge God out. Right. As opposed to a constant openness to the conversation that God wants to have with me in the midst of the day. So the subtitle of your book is Practices That Transform Us. So Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, Practices That Transform Us. So tell us a little bit about the story of how this came about. So I was the pastor of spiritual formation at Christ Church of Oakbrook in Illinois. And part of my job was to provide the leadership and the congregation with practices, relationships, and experiences that could um, be ways they partnered with the Spirit of God to become their best transforming self. And so... I started out just by working with the elders and say if it was Lent, I might say, well, how about if we as elders practice fasting as part of Lent? And I would do a two-page handout and talk about fasting and how they could do it between now and the next meeting. And, you know, that was that. And then, next, you know, the next meeting I would come with another practice. And, and so over probably a period of three or four years... I was just collecting these practices as I worked with the people at Christ Church. And then a friend of mine, Marilyn Stewart, said, you know, I think you have a book here. You should talk to somebody at InterVarsity Press. So it was, I wasn't attempting to write a book. I was just, I just knew that the people I worked with were not going to read Richard Foster's wonderful book on celebration of discipline. They just wanted to know how to practice confession or how to practice unplugging or how to practice slowing or simplicity. And so I was just trying to give them a small enough bite that they would know how to step into it and do it and be able to talk about it. So this book to me is put together as if I get to read your file on each (laughs) spiritual practice. Like, Like I get to read your handouts that you gave to the elders. You do. Or whomever you That's exactly and, what they are. <laughs> and, I mean, that is, and, and there's such a gift in it because you have succinctly boiled it down and made it not intimidating 
and inviting. Well, and I wanted to do that, and so thank you. I hope I have. Uh, you have, and you've helped a lot of people along the way um, that we know of uh, to be able to enter into these these beautiful practices that that help us to put ourselves in a place where God can transform us. And so in the midst of this, in, in your introduction, I mean, well, even before you get to the introduction of this book, we often say that the introduction to your book is worth the price of the book and then some. Um, yeah, whatever they charge for this book now is uh, it is not enough for the value <laughs> that's in it, just saying. Um, so the there's a piece here after the table of contents that it, it relates spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines and desires. And um, I just find that to be so incredibly helpful. So what does desire have to do with our relationship to God? Well, Desire is really what Jesus looked for as fuel for the spiritual journey. You know, he was often asking people, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Do you want to get well? He was looking for desire, and where there was desire, there was something to work with. And so I talked about being brought up on ought or should. That I find even today, you know, if I say, well, I ought to exercise, get up and exercise, uh, do yoga in the morning. I, if I'm just on an ought or should, I can do that for about three months, and then I'm kind of like, ah, I can't do it anymore. But if you have desire, if you want to run a marathon, if you want to become a yoga teacher, if you want to be able to lead people in practicing yoga, you have desire, and you will do it for more than three months. So you see Jesus sort of tapping into desire and where desire uh, flourishes, people have fuel for growth. I, I just so appreciate that particular concept or desire um, and the different kinds of desires that might be an opening. And in the introduction, you talk about how Jesus works with people. And he's encountering people that have desires along the way. Can you give a few examples well, of how Jesus did it? So if you want to think about Mark 140, where there's a man with leprosy who comes and kneels at Jesus' feet. And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You know, he wanted something more. He wanted to be well. And so Jesus could have a conversation with him around desire or um I think about I think about uh, John and James' mother who wanted her sons to sit on Jesus' right and left. You know, she wanted something, and so Jesus could have a conversation with her about what she really wanted and what it meant, and what James and when James and John wanted that. What what is it you're asking for? Um, the man who was demon possessed. You know, he had a desire and begged to go with Jesus. Can I go with you? And Jesus is like, stay here and tell what I've done for you. So you see all through the Gospels, Jesus working with people's desire. And 
inviting them to name their desire. The woman who clutches his cloak, desire. And even though she didn't say it, he, he knew that he'd been touched and he knew what her desire could do. And then your faith has saved you. So desire is really um, the thing that makes discipline from our side possible. If you think of, if you think of the spiritual transformation as a partnership, between you and the Spirit of God, your part is to bring your desire and some discipline. And the Spirit's part is to give you the grace. And so it's this two-part invention, this two-part dance by which we are transformed. The Spirit will never wave a magic wand over us and say, abracadabra, Dell is patient. There will be experiences in my life where I can practice patience and the Spirit will give me the grace to hold my tongue or to wait. And so there's this, this sense, I think, I grew up with a idea of if I would just pray hard enough or if I would just ask long enough, give me patience, give me patience, give me patience, I would, I would get it like magic. But it's not magic, it's... It is a, uh, a partnership with the Spirit. Well, and, and paying attention to that partnership and real life over time to be able to witness the transformation that happens. You know, in the, in the first map of Listen to My Life and My Life Now map, we have this lingering question. And really, that, that's, a, that's a question about desire. Yeah. It's a question of, of, of what, what's the deep question that's stirring in your soul? And if, or if you could ask Jesus one question right now, um, what would it be mm-hmm. about your life? And so sometimes it takes a while to just even dig down deep enough to be able to rightly name, name that That's question. right. It, it does. And especially if, if we're it, good at taking care of everybody else's desires and needs, it can take a little longer. Or are my, am I even allowed to have desires? Right. <laughs> and 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 then all the baggage of the word desire. Well, right. And you know, in the world I grew up with, desires will die to your desires. And you know, there's something about dying to your ego. We just talked about edging God out, but there's also this flip side of desire being a thing that actually points us to God, pulls us towards God. Right. And there there are disordered desires. Uh, there are. And then there are. And there are well-ordered desires that are just honest. And the disordered desires are really that we have, they're acting out of an unawareness of what's really going to satisfy us. Right. And so that puts us square in the, in the midst of, of saying, okay, what am I willing to trust God with, with these desires? Mm -hmm. And this, this building this relationship of trust where, where you really can speak out in your spirit, in your mind, in your body, what it is you really want in the, in the presence of God, inviting him to have access to those places in our soul. So how does someone begin? Well, first I would make a distinction between desire and demand, because I think um, it's easy when we have a desire to, to sort of close our hand around that desire and demand that God fill it. 
and desire is to have an open hand and to offer it to God and say, you know, I really desire to to have um, to grow in wisdom and to be able to uh, answer from a place of centeredness and kindness rather than just go with my gut or just blurt out what's ever in my mind. Mm. Well, once you have that desire, then you can look for a spiritual practice that matches the desire. So I think lots of times people end up uh, because they know they should, they should, you know, I should journal. Lots of people tell me I should journal or I should, I should be a really good intercessor or I should be um, witnessing more. I should be practicing silence more or simplicity or, you know, I should, but what is it their their soul is hungry for? What are they right. what are they really longing for? Do they want to you gaze know. more deeply on God and his works and words? Well, you know, then there's a practice of meditation. Do they want to develop a continual openness and awareness that they are living in the presence of God? Well, then there's practicing the presence. So it's this sense of Find the desire and then find the spiritual practice that opens that desire towards God. I'm going to quote to you right out of your introduction here because it's a it's a restatement of what you have just said in a in, in some words, but it's so important. I don't want anyone to be able to miss this. So um, in my version, I, there, there's quite a few editions of this book. In fact. <laughs> the one I have, it's on page 19. It says, God's spirit of truth may use our spiritual practice to reveal false self-conceptions and idols of our heart. Becoming aware of what is true and false about us is essential for spiritual growth. And it's not always comfortable. So when we find ourselves in the space between desire and demand, when we are waiting on God and nothing seems to be happening, we must remember this space is an opportunity in a, a, God. I love that. that it, I, I just have to say it again. It says, when we are waiting on God and nothing seems to be happening, we must remember this space is an opportunity. That's right. In the unfixables of our lives, we are invited to keep company with Jesus and take the risk that God's intentions toward us are good. So, yeah, so that when nothing seems to be happening, this is a space of opportunity. Say a little bit more about that. Well, that's that space between desire and demand. And there are lots of unfixables. And you know, if we're just trying to get something right, or if we're just trying to fill some ought or should, we, I, I think we become depleted. But if we can see that what is happening in our lives puts us in solidarity with some of the things that were happening in Jesus' life, and that it's a place of fellowship with Him, Jesus had to wait. You know, he had to wait a long time for to begin his ministry. And I just, we, we know that when he was 12 years old, he already had a sense of 
I need to be about my father's business. There's a call on my life. And I just wonder how many days between being 12 and being 30, he said, Father, is today the day. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start. No, he waited. It wasn't just there that he waited, but he, he waited with his hands open to what God had for him. And he was shaped into the kind of person that God, I want to say that, that could do the things that were asked of him. And I even which were which were big tall big orders, tall orders, too. and even after he was anointed, you know, you'd think, great, I'm anointed, let's get on with it. What does he have? Is forty days of waiting. So you know, go put yourself with Jesus in the wilderness and just say, you waited, I'll wait with you, you wait with me. So it is an opportunity to be with Jesus. And I, I this last piece about. In the unfixables of our lives, we are invited to keep company with Jesus and take a risk that God's intentions toward us are good. Mm-hmm. Why don't you say a few words about that? So I, I think that the other side of the coin of trust is risk, and that often we have this idea that... Um, Trust is being certain. It's faith. I'm certain about these things. And God is on my side, and there are promises in the Bible, and these things aren't happening to me. So how could God be good? So it's it's this sense of saying, trust means risk, and risk means uncertainty and So I'm waiting, trusting God's good work. I mean, Jesus had to trust God on the cross. You know, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted. And I feel like that that sense of I will trust that no matter what is happening to me right now, no matter what mess and chaos, that you can do in my life what you did in Jesus' life, and that is you can work for my good, my growth, and your glory. And that's sort of my bottom line prayer in everything. You know, God work in this for my good, my growth, and your glory. And that's what it means to be with Jesus in those places (laughs) where things aren't happening. (laughs) Yeah, that's what trust looks like. Mm -hmm. And so you come back to worship. Um, worship is not something we work up or go to on Sunday morning. Worship is every discipline's end game. We miss the point and endanger our souls when we think spiritual disciplines as ends in themselves. Spiritual practices exist to open us to God. They are never the be-all and end-all of discipleship. The be-all and end-all is loving trust and obedience to God who is within us yet beyond us and our very best efforts. Mm. Those are really good words, Adele. (laughs) (laughs) So well said. Anything you want to say about those? Sometimes I feel like I can't say things any better than I've said them, you know. It's, It's just, 
if we make the spiritual practices the end, then we end up with a works-based Christianity. And who's doing what practices and who's doing them better than other people. And so it's never the that's never the point. If if these practices don't lead you to open your heart to God, then why would you practice them? You know? <laughs> right. And there's no better place to be, right? That's and, right. And, and later on here you talk about from the beginning, we're designed to be a part of their divine community. Talking about the Trinity. Right. We are not soul freelancers, but beings created to dance in the arms of the Trinity. Now there's some imagery, right? Yeah. I mean, dancing in the arms of the Trinity. I mean, and so we're talking about the, the spiritual disciplines as an invitation to the dance. That's right. It's a way you say, yes, and you step up and say, I will have this dance with you. Right, as opposed to cowering in the corner and kind of hoping to be noticed. This is this is a full-out invitation to the dance, but there's a piece of it that where we have to kind of step step toward God in a way that that says, I'm ready for this. I want this even though I'm afraid, I'm intimidated, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm I, I feel like I want to still stay in hiding here. Even though it's a risk. And so, yeah. And yeah, that this that this overcoming this fear of the unknown if I do enter into it. Um, I think that that so many people resist, and sometimes I have as well. There's enough messiness or enough anger in me because things aren't the way I wish they were. Yeah. That that I that I don't enter in like would be use in a way that would be useful <laughs> to for me to feel the kind of connection with God that I long for, that divine dance in the midst of the Trinity, you know, that is that I was designed for. And there's this wonderful sense of, um, well, I'm, I'm looking, I'm sitting in my office looking at Rubelev's icon of the Holy Trinity. Mm. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know that, but, you know, yes, there's a space at the table for you there that in the beginning, God is with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then God says, my presence will go with you. And then you get to Revelation and the dwelling place of God is with human beings, and this sense that God wants to be with us. The Trinity wants us in that wonderful dance that where they each know how to give to the other and defer to the other, receive from the other. It's a beautiful image. It is, it is so um, amazing and beautiful that it's almost hard to imagine that that invitation is for us for you, for me, and anyone who's listening, that it's already been prepared for us. It was always intended for us to be able to to embrace that. It is the best story ever, you know, the story that God wants to be with us and from the very beginning called us and then makes an eternal dwelling with us. I mean, it is just melting your mouth sweet. It's the best story ever. It, I mean, that's 
that's the the thing is that there's this fear and it's the best story ever that we're afraid to to we're almost afraid to believe too good to be be true. true that's right too good to be true and it's not too good to be Mm-mm. true. It, it it's there for us. So, so you get into this. Um, you've already described the the acronym of worship, and then you've got all the spiritual practices um, organized by the acronym of worship. Can you say if, if just expound on on the acronym of worship a little bit and what kinds of practices? fall under each one to give people an overview of what they'll find in this book and basically get access to your filing system of the, <laughs> of the, uh, of the handouts of how to practice. So as, as I wrote these disciplines, so the first, the first um, edition, I don't know how many, maybe there's 70 some practices. The second one is 80 some practices. I thought it's just too long a list. What are you going to do with this long list of practices? So it was probably... It was months and months that I kept thinking, how do I organize? How do I make accessible? How do I make it bite-sized? How can people step into this? And I worked with a lot of different acronyms and a lot of different ways of thinking about it. And I was actually um, at a Renovare retreat, and I was sharing a room with another pastor friend, and... I was saying, I need to figure this out. And she was the one who suggested, would worship work? Because we were talking about how all the disciplines need to lead to worship. And so we laid in our two beds in this hotel room going back and forth. Well, what could O be? So O is open myself to God in worship, W-O-R-S-H-I-P. Open myself to God. So could we say there are particular practices that are about this opening of ourselves towards God, worship, W. What are the specific things that people think of when they think of worship? You know, celebration, Thanksgiving, the Lord's Supper. You know, so we, we started doing it there at this conference, and I went back and tried to see if the Spiritual practices would fit into this word, and I feel like God just gave me the the gift of this word because it's not only the end game of the spiritual practices, it did make it, you know, there are corporate practices like sharing my life with others. So you can line up disciplines that are all about that kind of desire to connect with other people in the journey. And so, you know, those practices would be things like an accountability partner or hospitality or mentoring or small groups or friendship, spiritual friendship, witnessing. These are all connecting with other people. And then there are, of course, disciplines. The H in worship is hear God's word, Bible study, devotional reading, meditation, memorization. You know, there are there are disciplines that fit And then like incarnating the love of Christ, well, care of the earth, compassion, controlling the tongue, humility, justice. There are things. So I just tried to, and then there's a a long one on prayer with lots of different ways to pray. So I felt like it was just a gift that God gave me to organize this book. Well, 
It works incredibly well. It's it's one of those things that uh, I just love when you're searching for something like that, and it and it really is an inspired idea that you go, oh, okay, <laughs> it all holds together. This it way. all holds together. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. So the um, when you get into the actual handouts, more or less for each particular, like how do I do this? Um, why don't you pick a favorite and just kind of walk through the 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 quick structure of how you um, of how you laid them out so people can get a feel for the how practical. Okay, it is. Well, let me see. What shall I choose? I will choose rest because rest is such a hard thing for us who like to be busy and doing. And so part of rest is, I, I, I always start out with a quote. And so in this case, it's people in a hurry never have time for recovery. Their minds have little time to meditate and pray so that problems can be put in perspective. In short, people in our age are showing signs of physiological disintegration because we are living at a pace that is too fast for our bodies. That's Archibald Hart. So if that phrase, that quote speaks to you about a desire to honor God and your human limitations with a restful rhythm, then that desire is the fuel for rest. And so each, each discipline begins with the grid that has desire, then a definition for the discipline. So rest is entering into rest depends on honoring our God-given limits by paying attention to the physical, mental, and spiritual needs of the body. And we learn when and how to rest. So then there's scripture my soul finds rest in God alone. Be at rest once more, my soul. Just some scripture that ground the discipline in the Bible. Then um, suggestions of what the practices include. So we can think of rest as, well, rest is what we do on Sunday. But it can be taking a vacation day or setting some margins for how much we're gone. Or it can be developing... Um, some rhythm of work and rest that really serves us. It can be curling up by a fireplace and just watching the fire. So what are some things the practice includes? And then what are the fruit? If you start keeping this practice, what can you uh, hope and anticipate that God might do? You know, God might um, actually show up in your rest and help you curb your addiction to busyness. And you'll, delight so much in being with God that you'll want to rest some more or resting one day a week or one uh, day a month or, you know, will provide a way of making space to hear from God so you actually begin to recognize his voice. So that's all on one page. It's just a, a graph with five different things, desire, definition, scripture, practice includes, and God-given fruit. Then there's a couple paragraphs about the discipline, and then there are reflection questions and spiritual exercises and resources, books or podcasts or things to listen to. 
So that's sort of the structure. Yeah, and the reflection question, one of the reflection questions um, in rest is what exhausts you or keep you keeps you working past your limits? And that last part, what keeps you working past your limits? I think that's such a great question. And and in all of these, you have these great invitations to a conversation with God. Those questions are not only useful for our own um, self-awareness, but self-awareness and God-awareness. And, and inviting God into that conversation to help us to recognize what's happening and what the truth is in the midst of it. And I mean, that's what confession is. And, and confession, I think it's a bad rap, but it's, you know, agreeing with God over what's true. Right. And, and just, and there, I, I, and I often, often talk about this as like, okay, once we agree with God about what's true, I think he's going, oh, so glad <laughs> you've noticed. Now I can do something yes. with that. You know, and uh, it, so as opposed to this kind of punitive, shameful confession kind of thing, he's looking to give us the aha moments that we need to move our spiritual life forward so we can live a life of love. That's what he's up to. That's his desire. And so... Um, and I just so appreciate what you've done here and what a, this is just such a, a life's work. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I am so glad that people continue to find themselves in the presence of God through spiritual mm -hmm. practices. And that's all it's for. It's, may, may you find yourself in the presence of God. Uh, I'm I'm so glad you chose to join us today. Any final um, words of encouragement for our listeners? So I believe that all of these spiritual practices, in one way or another, Jesus practiced them. And when we step into practicing them, we step into communion with Jesus, and he is so pleased with that. So may you find that everything that's happening in your life, everything that's happening in your life, that Jesus is present in it and is working for your good and your growth and his glory in it. So... Keep risking God, God's goodness. It's the best story there is. It is. And God wants our stories to turn out right. Amen. Oh, yes. So, um, okay. For our listeners, it's the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, Practices That Transform Us by Adele Calhoun. You can find this on Amazon is the best way to find it's it. It's there. Okay. And is there anything else you want to invite our listeners to participate in? Well, I don't know what you're asking me. <laughs> okay. I didn't know if you have any retreats coming up or anything that, uh, that another way for people to connect with you that you might want to mention. Oh, no. Um, you know, right now, most of our, my husband's and my speaking is around our, our new book on the Enneagram. And so 
we do have a, a website called Calhoun Ministries, and people can find out what we're doing on that website. Spell Calhoun. C-A-L-H-O-U-N. Calhoun Ministries. And it's dot com? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll have you back to talk about that Okay. One. And also uh, Invitations from God, um, another one of your books that, uh, that we love. In fact, uh, um, we have a podcast episode uh, that, you know, our friend Joan Kelly, who's the director of spiritual, uh, who's the director of uh, facilitator development for One Life Maps. Uh, she and our, and our other friend, uh, Gail, lead a women's yeah. study, uh, spiritual formation I study. I was just there. Yeah. Book. <laughs> right. Oh, so you got to visit this I did. Week. That's Oh, what a treat. What a treat. And so when Joan was preparing um, to teach on an invitation to admit I might be wrong, the sixth yep. chapter of um, of invitations from God, um, she wasn't sure what she was going to be doing. And so it was a Monday afternoon when we were recording some podcasts in her basement. And, um, and, and over lunch, we're we're, we're having this conversation about what she has to teach on Thursday and she's not sure what to do with it. So we had started having this really good conversation. I said, hold on, hold on, let's finish eating. Let's go downstairs and have this conversation and record it. And so we have a podcast episode that's called an invitation to admit I may be wrong, um, in our podcast library, but I'll send you a link <laughs> okay, to great. It. and I'll put, I'll link that in the show notes okay. here too. And it was just a delightful conversation among friends um that that just your your chapter sparked for us. <laughs> and i just i hope yeah. you so we've already we've already got uh got a piece of that book in our archives and i hope that uh it spurred some people to pick up the i book, hope so um, at that point in time so it's such a great title right oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> it, I, I titled it. I titled it an invitation, an invitation to admit I may be wrong, and and um, I thought, well, I hope anybody will pick that up and listen to it, right? <laughs> like, who wants to admit they're me. wrong? Okay. <laughs> uh, no hands up. What's what's going on? So anyway, thank you very so welcome. much for your time. And uh, all of you listeners, we do have a facilitator certification workshop on November 18th, 19th, and 20th in the Chicago area for Listen to My Life. We hope you'll join us. We'll definitely be talking about Adele's book in that that as well, because this so closely relates to the the life-giving rhythms map, map number seven in the Listen to My Life process. So hope you'll join us for that. There's more information on the website at onelifemaps.com. Thanks for joining us, Isabel. Bye. Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life? and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes. You're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. 
O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com.